We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What up, what up, what up? Welcome in to the funeral edition of Green with Envy. As always, this is your boy Will. We're checking in. How you doing? How you living? Keep your head up, folks. We're gonna we're gonna get through this together. Joining me to help work through my feelings and emotions on this sad funeral day is my podcasting cousin from across the pond, the leader of the Taylor gang, the one and only Adam Taylor. How you doing, Adam? No intro music today for Adam. <laughs> Doesn't no. call for it. Doesn't call. I for need it. a Viking funeral. Put these guys on a boat. Put it out into the ocean, and then launch that flaming arrow, dude. And not the actual people, just the season. Just burn the memories of the last few weeks. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one, folks. So obviously, I think everybody knows where we're at right now. The Celtics season ultimately comes to an end as they fall short of completing history, falling one game short of being the first team ever to come back. From a 3-0 deficit, the Miami Heat win last night in Game 7 on the road in the TD Garden, a Memorial Day massacre, 103-84. to The Heat advanced to to play the Denver Nuggets. And Adam, let's uh, so the way that we're going to try, try to break this up, just to give y'all a, an idea here, is uh, we're going to talk about last night's game. Then we're going to take a look at the series and the playoffs as a whole. And then... Well, we got a lot of off-season content that's going to be, you know, bad bad loss last night, good win for the podcast in the sense of we don't have to worry about trying to fill content. There is going to be plenty of that throughout the off-season, so we'll start to kind of dig into that. But, Adam, let's start with last night. It feels like, for me, the number one storyline is kind of where the game started. Jason Tatum rolls that ankle on the very first play of the game. And it felt like that took a toll, obviously, on Jason Tatum's health and his ability to, you know, he, he gutted it out, but he clearly wasn't, you know, Jason Tatum in that game. And I really think from there, it was kind of a trickle-down effect as to what it had on the team, what it had in the crowd. But I think that moment right there was a really unfortunate representation of what happens when you squander, whether it's leads, plays, you know, a uh, sequence of events earlier in the series, you have zero margin for error and you're one 
Jason Tatum rolled ankle away on, you know, on a, on a shot in the first quarter and you just never recover. And that's kind of what happened last night. Yeah. And to me, it was like, you know, sometimes it just feels like fate, right? Like if it happens on the very first play, you see Tatum grimace go down, you see him grimace on the way back down the floor and then coming back up on the second offensive possession of the game. And he, it didn't take him out, but it took him out. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, he, as you said, he wasn't Jason Tatum. He definitely wasn't Game 7 Jason Tatum. That puts a lot of pressure on everybody else to step up. It puts a lot of pressure in the margins. For Joe has to coach a perfect game at this point. Everyone else has to kind of chip in an extra 10% to kind of cover the 90% you've just lost from JT. And on the flip side, you give Miami this glimmer of hope at the very, very, very start of a game. And all of a sudden, the one thing we said on IG Live yesterday yep. was the Celtics cannot afford to start this game on the back foot. If they get punched for... And the worst thing is, they didn't even get punched first. They slipped onto the canvas. It was a slippage. <laughs> yeah. But it gave Miami that little bit of a boost super early. And I felt like Boston just never really got their foothold back in the game. But yeah, Miami it, did a good job just keeping them at the jab. I mean, game seven, we, we, like you said, on the IG live, we said as part of our pregame show, you know, it's, it's probably going to be ugly in that first quarter. Teams are going to struggle to get to 20 points and that's exactly what happened. And, you know, the Celtics just, just could not score the basketball. I mean, all night really, but specifically in that first quarter. And once Jason Tatum gets hurt, you know, I was watching the game with our other co-host here, Greg, last night, we see Tatum get hurt. We see that he's clearly not you know, Jason Tatum, I looked to him and said, man, this is going to go one of two ways because there's a lot of pressure that just landed on Jalen Brown's shoulders right now. It didn't go the way we were hoping. Obviously a really, I mean, just a tough series in general for Jalen Brown. But last night, the you know, only 19 points, eight turnovers and one of nine from three, eight of 23 overall. You know, I, and I have said this about Jalen Brown before. I think he has one of the toughest jobs that you could have being the number two that probably could be the number one on a very low level playoff contending team. But you need to be ready to be that guy in a moment's notice whenever Tatum doesn't have it because he is that established number one. That's a really tough position to be in, but it, you know, it's something you got to be ready to step up and do. And, and Jalen just, for whatever reason, didn't have it all series and definitely didn't have it last night. And it's not completely his fault. Like you say, it is a really difficult job in terms of it's not his fault that he just didn't have it. Like sometimes you got it, sometimes you don't. But when you look at it from a more broader lens and you're like, this isn't the first time JB's had this pressure fall onto his shoulders and flopped. If you remember last season under Rudoka, Jason went down for a few games. Jalen was put into that starting like number one position and completely and utterly tanked. He just he was a turnover machine. It was the regular season at the time. But that's what started the discourse about whether Jalen would ever be capable of being a number one for a contending team. I don't know if you recall those games. No, I do. I do. And and this is like this is where I think, you know, there's a ceiling on Jalen Brown as a number one guy, in my opinion. I can he be Brad Beal, which is a, you know, play in contention seven, eight seed, you know, he's an all-star. I think that, I think, I think Jalen Brown could certainly be that, you know, but I, I just don't think he's, he's that level above, which I think Jason Tatum is. It's his ability or his inability to read the floor correctly. Like I feel like, and this has been a knock on Jalen Brown since he was a rookie, right? He plays too quick for his 
body, if that makes sense. Like his brain's moving at 100 miles an hour, his body's at 90. And at times, that works because you can bully drive your way to the rim, you can attack the seams, you see things quicker because you're operating quickly. But against a team like Miami, in the postseason where players that that little bit slower in general, you're running yourself into trouble. And that's what we saw Jalen do in this game. Soon as the ball was in his hands more, he just got his head down, tried to do what he always does and drive his way down the lane. And it just wasn't working. People were collapsing on him left, right, and center. And he just doesn't have the handle to be a primary ball handler. I got killed for this midway through the year. Absolutely tortured on Twitter, if you remember. People torched me left, right, and center for saying what I've been saying for a while. Jalen Brown is not a playmaker. He's not an initiator. The minute you ask him to do that, you're playing with fire. There's going to be games where it works out because, mm-hmm. you know, even the sun shines on a dog's ass some days. <laughs> but, and that's no disrespect to Jalen, but that's not his role. When Tatum went down, the sure. logic said to me, you run through Smart, you run through um, Brogdon and White. And then if you need to, and you're trying to attack the zone, you start feeding Robin Allen, ask them to pass because you've got two better passing bigs in the NBA. And they're underutilized in that area of the game. But no, you put the ball in JB's hands and it went, oh, I can swear, it went to shit. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, like, you don't got to hold back. You can say, say what you want, man. Let it let it fly. But, you know, one of the issues with, with, with what you said is, you know, you mentioned Brogdon. Brogdon, I mean, he played, but that Brogdon was clearly not. not yeah, like, like Brogdon wouldn't have been out there if it wasn't game seven. And that's the other part of the Tatum injury trickle-down effect, right? Is that... Last night's game, Game 7, felt a lot like Game 6 against the Warriors in the finals. The defense was there. The defense, you know, obviously, like, the the final score, I think they would have probably held them under 100. It it got a little bit loose late. The the subs came in around four minutes, whatever. But they just couldn't score the basketball. That That's kind of where Malcolm Brogdon was, was, was brought in here for. And that's what we've talked about, where Brogdon's lost a little bit of that creation that we thought he was bringing to the team because they just said, hey, listen, man, we need you to be the scorer. We need you to to get into the offense, knock down shots. And and to his credit, he won six man of the year. He, you know, averaged 15, 16 points a game, whatever it was in the regular season. Like that, you know, that was something we really needed last night. And with his injury, once again, this gets back to the series as a whole. There is zero margin for error. And so you start to get banged up with Malcolm Brogdon, then it trickles to Jason Tatum. Now, all of a sudden, you have two of your top three scorers that aren't at 100%. And Tatum's trying to tough it out and give you what he can. Brogdon, with that forearm, if he's not knocking down shots, he's just, there's nothing you can do. He was a minus 15 last night in seven minutes. I mean, there's just nothing you could do could do out there and so then it leads to you know the rest of the team and and honestly you know other than Derek White and Rob Williams who I don't think necessarily played enough last night especially with the energy that he was given I I can't really say that anybody played all that great of a game last night it's really only the two of them that I would kind of look to and you know you talk about trying to break down that zone feels you know does this feel familiar Adam the Miami Heat have frustrated the Boston Celtics with a zone. Tell me where the fuck we've heard this before. Every single time we faced the Miami Heat for the last two years. And I want to say, look, man, they do last what three they... years, four years. Back three, the yeah, sorry, bubble. Has it been that long since the bubble? Well, the bubble, it was the bubble. And then, so it's three out of the last four years. Yeah, okay, last four years, years, man. Time flies. Um, look, the Miami Heat do what they do, and they do it extremely well, you know? And if 
I could understand if some people thought it was a gimmick, right? But it's just not. It's who they are. It's what Spo uses, and they they all buy in. So you have to be willing to attack that zone and break it down properly. And when two of your best penetrators are playing banged up, one with an ankle injury, so he's lost that explosiveness on his first step. One with an arm injury, so you know you know, and he's not really shooting it well at the moment. So you can collapse on him and not worry about a step back or anything like that. It's really, really hard to break down that zone. You need guys to commit to playing off ball. You need guys to commit to being screeners. As Udoka said last year, it's being a selfless playmaker. It's doing the stuff that doesn't show up. And the Celtics did that for stretches, but for other stretches, it devolved into that. I like to call it 1990s college ball, where the ball kind of swings around and no one moves. Right? Yeah, it was. I mean, it, it's it's. I'm trying to think of the right word here. It it, it was passing without a purpose, right? Yeah. It, it, it was not purposeful, you know, like, and that's, and this is the thing. So the Celtics shoot 42 threes last night. I'm just looking at this nine for 42 for 21%. It's just staring at me at my computer screen right now. And, you know, one of the things that I think we went back and forth on is I, I never really cared about how many threes they were shooting. It was always how they were getting the shots. And the way they got the shots last night is not the way that the Celtics need to get 42 shots from the three-point line. You know, like you said, it was too much of that ball movement, but not a purposeful ball movement and not enough off-ball movement. This was whether they were whether the Heat were in man or zone. I mean, it, it felt like that was the case. And you know, it was a little bit interesting hearing some of Joe Missoula's very curt responses uh, across his social media appearances or across his press conferences <laughs> last night. Yeah, it was not 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 great, but we we know we we know that's kind of the Joe Missoula response. And you know, someone was at someone asked him. You know, uh, I'm just kind of some summing up here, but you know, did you shoot too many threes? Did you need to find another way? And his answer is just very bluntly, no. And I would disagree with that. You know, I would say that there does need to be another option, and I think. The DNA offensively for this team, one of the things that jumped out to me that had become a frustration throughout the season is you. Let, let's just look at that Jason Tatum play where he rolls his ankle. Leading up to that, Al Horford rolls to the rim. He's got Gabe Vincent on his hip. He catches the ball, and it's so programmed to just immediately look to the corner. Now, he doesn't make a bad pass, but if he lands and even looks at the rim, there's a dunk. It's a dunk right there. And that, and that play happened three or four different times in that first half. And it was driving me nuts. The DNA of our team is so much ingrained in looking out to that three-point line that we weren't even looking at the rim for some of those easy buckets. And look, I completely understand with finding the open man, right? The, the math says the open three is more valuable than the open two. I understand. But the problem is basketball isn't played in a calculator. It's played on an NBA floor. Do you understand what I mean? Like, yeah. there's there's nuances to this. Yeah, the math says this. I'm not big on statistics in sports anyway because I think that they completely overlook the intangibles and the variances that happen inside of a game. Like, I understand they have their place, and I'm not going to disparage anyone for being a very stat-heavy guy, but I'm very much a, hey, watch the game two or three times, see what you pick up. One of the things, I like, I like where your head's at. Like, you've got a mismatch. You're, you're catching the ball on the interior. Why the hell are you looking off to the corner when you've got a dunking opportunity? Or when you can go to some post moves because you're Al freaking Horford that played back to the basket for the majority of your career and should be able to just drop step and score, right? Especially on a mismatch. But the other thing is as well, when you're so committed to the three-point shot, 
as Joe Missoula is, as, as what we're unfortunately what we project to be kind of subjected to for the next three years, which to me is a very dull version of basketball. Um, you need elite, and I mean freaking elite three-point shooters. And at the minute, this team doesn't really boast many elite three-point shooters. You have Horford; he's an elite shooter by his own account. You know, unfortunately, not this postseason. But yes. not this postseason. You have Brogdon that was an elite three-point shooter this unfortunately, season. Unfortunately, not this series. Nope. Jason Tatum is an elite catch and shoot guy. If you look at his off the dribble numbers, they tell you he should not be shooting threes off the dribble. Jalen Brown is slightly okay. above average. He's, he's fine. He's fine. And then, you know, you've got someone like Sam Hauser that's a single skill specialist that doesn't get enough reps to be any, anything above average because the low volume, same as Grant, really. You don't, so you don't have to play a personnel to lean into it as heavily as what you're doing. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's okay when you mix in some of those rim rolls and you actually score around the rim instead of kick out. When you just completely stop attacking the rim, defenses don't need to collapse the same way. So then those open frees aren't as open as what they were to start the season. And I felt like that's what we saw against Miami. They knew what was coming every time the ball touched the paint. And they knew it was going to get re- redirected back out. Yeah, let's uh let's take a quick break right here, Adam, and let's uh let's keep going with the this game, and then let's let's dig into this series a little bit more as well. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. All right, Adam. So, you know, last night I'm, <laughs> I, I don't know how the Heat do this, man. I really do. I was talking to a, a friend of mine that's a Miami Heat fan, and 
you know, and then I was also talking to another friend who was a Knicks fan. He's like, man, this is what they did to us last round. And it's it's funny. Every single round, I've thought the Bucks are going to beat the Heat, but they're going to be a tough out. Knicks Heat, man, the Heat got a chance in this one. I think they can pull it out, but I think maybe I think the Knicks actually have a chance to to, to win this. Celtics, talent wise, you know, the better team won, the more talented team lost. That's the way I think is the, in my opinion, the the, the right way to look at. It. Better team won, more talented team lost. And then you look at, you know, just we're not going to dive into the Heat Nuggets here, but. I'm picking the Nuggets. I don't know about you, Adam. I think the Nuggets are going to steamroll this series, but that that seems like a dumbass thing to say. Yeah, I mean, again, we're expecting the more talented team to win. <laughs> like, I mean, it, yeah. it, it, it feels dumb. It's also logical, but, you know, the, the Heat just, just keep finding a way. And, you know, I look at last night, I look at this series, and Caleb Martin, man, Caleb Martin killed us time and time again, and this kind of goes back. stop. Yeah, I mean, I think he probably should have won. I mean, it was kind of split between him and Jimmy for the, the votes of the Eastern Conference Finals MVP. Um, I probably would have gone Caleb Martin, but Jimmy Butler, I get it, I get it. You know, but, I mean, the biggest fact of this series, when you look at it, and now we want to start talking about this series and this this playoff run the Celtics have that's fallen short, Caleb Martin outplayed Jalen Brown. That just, if you're going to be the more talented team, you can't have that happen. He outplayed a supermax eligible candidate that yeah. Boston are considering supermax extending. Please let me just re, re repeat that as I did with the word repeat. Re, re, repeat. Um, <laughs> he outplayed a supermax caliber guy in a best of seven series that went the full seven. Look, that's inexcusable. I don't care what anyone else has to say. Love Jalen Brown, hate Jalen Brown. I'm not on either train at the moment. All I'm saying is. You cannot be an all NBA second team guy and get absolutely cooked, yeah, that badly. Like, it's just not acceptable, yeah. It, it just it, it can't happen. I mean, shout out to Caleb Martin for, for making those plays, but I mean, you know, you look at the game last night, Adam, and the Celtics just could never really get past that 8.7 point mark right around that frame. And you know, I, I look at the end of the third quarter when Caleb Martin Celtics were uh were down eight. Caleb Martin starts dribbling the ball up with seven seconds left. The feeling you shouldn't get when Caleb Martin's dribbling the ball up is, ah, man, here we go again. You know, like the start of Keenan Kell. Like, that's that, that's the way that it felt. Cue up the Coolio. Like, it felt like, it, it felt inevitable that Caleb Martin was going to get not just a good look, but was going to get a bucket. The only question was, would it be a two or would it be a three? You know, he he. He kind of pulls up with a hezzy at the three-point line, dribbles down and around the baseline, hits a hits a two-pointer on the baseline, puts it back up 10, and any type of momentum that you're trying to at least talk yourself into, all right, single digits, we got a chance here. You know, Caleb Martin just got that really, really easily. And it, the, the fact that he felt by the end of the series that, you know, and he had another double-double double, double last night, 26 points, 10 rebounds. He had 15 rebounds in game six. You know, Caleb Martin just, he felt like the dagger waiting to happen. And, you know, he even led the team and he led Miami in, in minutes last night. He was that important. It's, he's it's, got so, that it's, dog in him. That he's doll. got that dog in him. He's got some, it's some wild black satanic shit going on. I don't know what, I don't know what happened with Caleb Martin in this series. <laughs> right. So I pulled some numbers, man. I want to go through some numbers of this series, right? Well, just the playoffs in general. 
turnovers, totals, right? Not per game, total turnovers of the postseason. And I'm moving on because I don't want to talk about Caleb Martin because I'm pretty sure if you went through my tweet history, you'd see me asking for the Celtics to trade for him before February. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and people were like, no one wants Caleb Martin. Motherfucker, Every, everybody, everybody wants, wants Caleb, Caleb Martin, Martin. now. Yeah. Um, I want to find some of those tweets and quote tweet them in a bit. All right, then. Top five players in the playoffs for turn, total turnovers. How many are in the Celtics? Ooh, so this is total turnovers. Top five, guys. Top five. I'm going to say three. Who are they? Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart. Where do they rank? I'm going to go Jalen one, Tatum three, Marcus five. You were really damn close. So you got two of them correct. So okay. Jalen Brown leads the playoffs with total turnovers with 66. Yeah, Jason right. Tatum is second in the playoffs with 56. Marcus Smart is fifth in the postseason with 45. Yeah, that's not a winning recipe, Adam. That's, you know, we talked about this in the last pod. You know, the, the fact that the Celtics got away with a game six win when they lose a three-point line, they lose a turnover battle pretty dramatically. Those are typically the two telltale signs for this team of did they win or did they not without knowing any other context of the game. Just give me those two stats. I probably can tell you what happened. And, you know, you look at these turnovers here and and this is where those will be the next segment that we get to here where we start to look at some offseason, you know, topics. I mean, this is this is an area where it's and this is another part that that's so hard to figure out with this team. This team has so many little things because if you look at their turnovers in the regular season, they, they take care of the ball. They took care of the ball better than most teams in the NBA. And yet you get to the postseason and you now have three of the top five total turnover statistics in your starting lineup. Like, how do we, I, it, it's, I, it's the next morning after. So it's really hard to put all my full thoughts into words that make sense. But I just don't understand how we get to this point. It's really tough to figure out. So the only way I can be fair with turnovers when I'm looking at things like that is I'm like, well, how fast did the team play, right? Like, if you're playing a fast-paced brand of basketball, you're going to have more turnovers because there's more possessions. Like the Warriors do. Yeah, exactly. So then you go to pace and you have a look at which teams are playing the fastest pace in the pa- in the postseason. The Celtics rank 10th. So they're not exactly like pushing that ball up the floor. Do you yeah, know, they're what not Speedy Gonzalez right now. Yeah, exactly, dude. And then it's like, well, how the hell do you have three of the top five guys in turnovers? Now, let's be fair to Jason Tatum; he's the postseason points leader um, by, a, I think it's by 148 points margin. Yeah. He could, he could very well end up being the points leader of the postseason, not playing in the finals, right? Like, mm-hmm. if G- Jimmy's got to score 148 points, I think it is to to at least draw level with Tatum. Mm-hmm. So, and it Tatum's also second in rebounds. So it's not like, and I think he's in the top five in steals as well, or something like that. Like, or yeah. Marcus might. It's not like they weren't doing good things too, but that turnover issue has been there for multiple years at this point. And like you said, it, again, it feels like it's something that's ingrained into them. Like, okay, we're going to take care of the ball for 82 games. The 82 that don't count as much. And for anyone that says the regular season counts, please go and watch Miami and see how they played during the regular season. And then be fucking thankful that we didn't see them in the opening round because there was no... <laughs> that This would be a worse conversation. Damn bulls in the, in the second play-in game. They were down with three minutes left in that game. Wow. And then now they're in the finals. 
yeah, it's 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 really hard to explain. And you know, I mean, something we had talked about all year, Adam, was this playoff run was going to come down to what lessons did the Celtics learn from their past, almost successes, almost triumphs. You know, as far as taking care of business when it needs to be taken care of. You know, this this kind of goes hand in hand with the taking care of the basketball. You know, not being able to win home games. I mean, the Celtics finished with an under 500 record at the TD Garden over the last two postseasons. Like, how? I, I mean, I, I just, I, I, that's something I, I can't explain. You know, and and you look throughout this postseason run, and, you know, there's, what, game five against Atlanta. Kind of, you start to see some of these, man. I don't know if we've learned our lessons quite yet. You see that fall apart. They don't close out the Hawks. They don't take advantage of the Joel Embiid, you know, injury in the moment, you know, as far as just getting that series going early. Um, you see them in game one against Philadelphia at home. They don't come out. Joel Embiid doesn't play. Their one job is to shut down James Harden. They let James Harden go nuts. They steal game one. That series continues to trickle on. All of a sudden, you find yourself down 3-2. You got to pull one out of your ass. At the end of game six, Jason Tatum gets hot, You know, hits the four threes, finally wakes up. Game seven goes nuts. Now you flip to Miami. You blow two double-digit leads at home. Game one and game two, you come out, no-show game three. Yeah, you claw your way back, and you know it was exciting for about a week. It really was about what potentially was happening, what could be. But then you just leave yourself with no room for error, and we see what happens when it just takes one game and really just one moment. Jason Tatum rolling that ankle, Malcolm Brogdon in the forearm, and you're done, and you're done. And so it's—I mean, it's, you called it though, right? You said this two weeks ago. You were like, "Dude, part of me wants it to be over in four because if they win one, they're gonna—I'm gonna. There's gonna be a little bit of a sprinkle of belief back there. If they win two, they're gonna suck me back in." If they win three, you just know they're going back to the garden and going to lose in game seven. And that's exactly what you called it two weeks ago. I mean, I mean it, it, one thing I firmly believe is that teams over time show you who they are. And, you know, Greg's talked about this too, that we could probably make a list of games in the regular season that are like, we knew this team wasn't that team this night. And you could point to January 17th in the garden or whatever it was, you know, some random games that really kind of dictate who you are. And, you know, the Celtics, I think for me, game five against the Hawks was the time for me when I was ultimately like, this team hasn't learned anything. They haven't learned about how important home court advantage is. They haven't learned about how important it is to put a series away in five versus six games to make sure that you show up each night. You know, that that for me was the ultimate, you know, final stamp of I don't think this team has it. This team has not learned from their mistakes. And that's where it gets to, you know, what's going to be the bulk of our offseason is how do you change it? How do you fix that? Because multiple coaches, basically the same core, all the same issues. So evidently the issue is the core. Like you, you've changed everything else. And I, I think I said this, I don't know if it was on a live or on a podcast episode. It was definitely to you guys. You've changed, you've changed the, the fringe pieces. You've changed the bench guys over over tw- twice now. You've had different supporting casts, and the issues still stay there. So clearly, it's a core issue. You've changed coaches. You've changed role players. Now you've got to take a really hard look, and we can go into this a lot deeper later on, obviously, mm-hmm. and be like, 
no, this is so, there is something fundamentally flawed with the core that we've built. Not that these guys are bad players, not that they don't care. It's none of that. It's there's a lack of complementing each other's skill sets. There's a lack of just cohesion between the smart Brown, Tate, and Rob core. If you want to throw Al in there, fine. I'd throw Al in there. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lack of cohesion between those five, and there's all, and it's always down to two of those four or two of those five shit in the bed during a series. This time round, it was Jalen Brown shit in the bed, um, and then you know Rob, I felt had a really good series. I felt like he had Jimmy Butler in his pocket, but Joe. I mean, Al, I mean Al wasn't good either. I'll, no, so there's, like, there's like, Al, Al had some small moments, but like moment. overall, I mean, we, we we could find little things Al did, which is you know that's. That's fine, but at the end of the day, you know, Al wasn't great. He just he no, just that's wasn't. fine, and that's the other guy that shit the bed, right? But then, like, yeah. the point I was going to make was, you've got Rob Williams that had a really good series defensively, but you don't put him in positions to be the offensive force that he was last season. You don't run actions to give him opportunities to be an above the rim threat. That that's great because you're going to get longevity out of Rob. You're not putting as much pressure on his knees. He's going to be available more regularly. But now he's a one-sided player, and that to me is an issue when he can be so dominant offensively for stretches. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's tough, right? Because to your point, what you just said about keeping him healthy, like it's tough to like go through a season and say, all right, we're gonna make Rob a really, really important part of this offense because it's really hard to rely that he's going to yeah. be there. You know, you when he's there, you want to have him. it. Yeah, you want to have it, but it's just it's so hard to know if he's going to be there. And so the other side of this, when you look at this core that that we're defining, they haven't won. So therefore, you know, this gets back to, I mean, Jalen Brown said it, you know, we failed, I failed last night, you know, and in the series and in this postseason, Al talked about it as well. Like, you know, we're not going the Giannis route. Like we know that this could be a part of the process, but, but they failed for the season. It's a failure. It doesn't mean you can't bounce back from it, but it is a failure. You know, the goal was to, to win a championship and this team has the ability, has the talent to to win a championship and when you start to get into which we're going to go deeper in at a later date about how you shift or how you break up this core it's really tough because there is something to sustain success of being continually in the mix of the conference finals the nba finals but just not quite having won it that that there is a temptation to say Maybe it's something else, you know, but it feels like at this point there needs to be a bigger change. But this is more than, you know, I look at a team like the like the Portland Trailblazers when they had CJ McCollum and Dame. And they kept saying, man, we've, we've got the bones here. It's like, did you have the bones? Did you? Like, because I, I don't think they quite did. Yeah, you had the bones to continue to be in the playoffs. But other than one fluky run to the Western Conference Finals, you were never really in the mix with those Portland teams, in my estimation. This Boston team has been in the mix. This Boston team has been right there, you know, for the last four or five years, and specifically this year and last year, they were right in the mix of of being a championship team. Really, three out of the last four years since the bubble, they've they've been a team that is right on the edge of it, and it's a lot due to this core. So it's, but to your point, we've changed coaches three times. I don't know what else you could change. Let me ask you this. Let me put it in real world, real world times for you. Right, your job hunting. You've got your resume planned out. You've got your interview strategy planned out, right? Over the course of a year, let's just condense it. You go on five interviews. You're being very judicial with the jobs that you apply for. You've got some money in the bank, so you're able to kind of you know, pick your spots. You go to five interviews. 
each time you go to the interview, you make it through to the final round of interviewees. Each time you get passed over for somebody else, do you then say, man, what I've got, this strategy, this resume, what I've got in place is going to work. Let me just keep plugging at it. Or do you start to then retrospectively dissect what you, the way you're answering, the way you're attending those interviews, what you're dressed like, what your resume says, the references, you're going to go back, you're going to retro yeah, You're going to adjust in some way. Yeah. And right now, this is the same thing. You're, it's always the bridesmaid, never the bride. And you have to ask yourself, are you content with that as a, as a franchise? Not as us as, as behind the mics, but are, are, are the Celtics content with sustained su- sustained success in terms of conference finals runs? And if they're not, then you need to start dissecting where the bigger problem is. And that's not easy right now because, to me, it feels like a deep-rooted incompetence in taking care of the ball. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different areas that I think we just see continually repeated. But I think this brings us to to kind of the, the last part of this podcast we want to get through. So let's take a quick break, and then we'll, we'll jump right back into it. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, Adam. So I, I think where our conversation's at right now, this brings us to what's next. What happens now that the Celtics, you know, failed to come back from from 3-0 against Miami and ultimately had just a really, you know, disappointing postseason when you look at the potential roadmap that was laid out for them to be able to get back to the finals. And if they were to, you know, have made it and play the Nuggets, have a really good chance at, at bringing home a championship. A lot of opportunities that that were squandered. So, so what happens next? And we've started to kind of dig into this a little bit with the core. So I think there's a couple different things that we need to look at. Number one, you know, so let, let, number one, let's start with, let's start with the coaching. I, w- I want to start here because I think for me, and this is going to be a topic that all these topics we're going to go much deeper in throughout the off season. So we're going to just hit these at a high level here. But I think with coaching, I, even when it was on the precipice of becoming a sweep, I still thought Joe Missoula was likely going to be back. And the main objective is how do we, support him with a true coaching staff you know that that was an area where i think brad stevens has done a great job in the front office i think he failed big time in and granted everyone was put into a shitty shitty position by the decisions of of, of ime odoka and the timing of all that like that that really was tough and that was something that i had said at the beginning of the season when greg and i made our uh preseason predictions it was right after it was right before training camp so, you know, I said at the time, I predicted it would be the Bucks and Nuggets in the in the NBA Finals. 
because at some point I said it has to matter that you just lost your head coach the night before training camp. Like if it just doesn't matter, then talent is the only thing that matters. Get as much talent as you can and throw me, Greg and Adam on the bench and we'll, you know, we'll figure it out because you know, that that's where, where, I mean, that's a really tough position. And so I think from a coaching perspective, you know, Brad's got to find a way this off season to revamp that assistant coach, assistant coaches, you know, uh, stable. And, but I expect to see Joe Missoula back. I don't think that's going to change. I just think there's going to be more reinforcements and that's on Brad to, to make that happen. Uh, give me your thoughts on on that as a potential topic for this offseason. Yeah, I I don't I don't necessarily not want Joe back, but I'd be okay if he wasn't back, right? Like I wouldn't be like, man, this was such a mistake. What I will say is I expect him to stay. And to me, that means you need a very, very strong voice as your assistant head coach. Whoever takes that spot, whoever they bring in to be like the lead assistant to Missoula needs to be very, very strong in his voice, in his opinion, because Joe strikes me as somebody that kind of sees what works and sticks with it. And I think that's part of being partly what's been Boston's downfall throughout the postseason is he, he found a scheme that had success early in the year and very rarely did he venture away from that. So having somebody that's got a very strong voice, similar to what I'd imagine Damon Stoudemire had on that bench, um, is going to be really important for me. So it doesn't need to be necessarily someone with oodles of coaching experience. Like, you know, Frank Vogel would be great, but there's downsides that come with that type of addition too. Just somebody with a strong voice that's going to be able to respectfully challenge some of the decisions that Joe makes on a week-to-week basis, maybe be able to take over dealing with the defense because that's definitely a flaw at the moment. So, yeah, the the coaching staff needs a revamp. I will say Brad did fail Joe in not replacing Will Hardy. Damon Stoudemire, to me, was a different story completely. It was midway through the season. You're going to wait to the end of the year to do your due diligence on whoever you give a job to. That's fine. But as you said, when you lost Ime Udoka, well, now, it's kind of like you lost three coaches, right? Because Udoka's gone, that's one. Will Hardy's gone, that's two. You've had to promote Missoula into that head coach role so now technically there's three spots on that bench gone because Missoula's gone up, Hardy's gone, Udoka's gone. Now there's three, so you've got Udoka's and spot. And then Stoudemire leaves. And Stoudemire leaves. You know, Your bench is like ridiculously thin, very unexperienced. Ben Sullivan was brought in as like a player development coach to work with guys on their shooting and stuff. He was never brought in to be a lead assistant. Yeah. I'm not saying he's not capable. I don't know the guy. I don't know enough about him to make a decision on whether I believe he's capable in that role or not. That would be wrong of me. But what I would say is there's going to be better qualified candidates out there. And then you can put Sullivan back in a position where he can actually make a good impact in the area that he's experienced in. Yeah. So I think that's 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 number one from a coaching standpoint. What what are you going to do? Because even though I'm saying I expect Missoula to be back, I don't think it's off the table that they they look to go to go find someone. But I would be surprised because Brad feels like, you know, Missoula is kind of one of his guys. He's, you know, he dates back to the Brad Stevens coaching era. So I would be surprised. But that's one topic that I'm sure we're, that we're going to have to dive into. Topic number two, we've already touched on this a little bit here. The Jalen Brown extension. What happens? Do you, as the Celtics organization, want to give Jalen Brown the extension? Does Jalen Brown, the player, does he want the extension? Does he want to be here? Because I think this will lead into our third topic, which is something we've already talked about, which is how you shake it up. Whatever happens with the Jalen Brown extension, 
that feels like the first shoe to drop from a roster from a, from a how how you change this roster that's the first shoe that drops right because if he signs the extension you know that's at least for now not the route that you're going for this offseason you're going to put that in your back pocket that's maybe next year maybe 2 years from now that's a a revisited topic but if there's no extension and this is kind of my initial thought on this adam if the extension doesn't get signed, which I believe they have until I think it's October 23rd, we'll double check the dates. I know it's in October that they have to sign the extension. I can't imagine Jalen Brown playing next year as, you know, um, you know, on, on a one year deal, essentially, with the ability to become an unrestricted free agent. I can't imagine the Celtics leaving that le- leaving that opportunity out there. I think either the extension gets signed or we're having some really some really tough Jalen Brown trade conversations. And then that leads to the whole other issue that if he's not on that extension, you better, you you might be limited to where you can trade him and get enough value because he's on that one year deal, unless he's going to a place that he might be willing to sign an extension. So I I think after Missoula, this is the next and most important part of the off season for the Celtics. Yeah. I think the hardest part is the fact that the extension can be signed up until the opening week of the season. You know what I mean? Or the opening couple of weeks of the season, because that gives you opportunity to to falter, right? You could get all the way through to start the new season with Jalen Brown on your roster, not end up getting that extension, and now you've got that hanging over your head, and now there's pressure to find a deal as the season's underway. You've probably missed out on a couple of opportunities during the offseason. I'd expect Boston to... If I was Brad Stevens, I'd be setting a soft deadline for myself, right? Mm-hmm. Like, hey... If we haven't heard anything by August, midway through August, and Brown's either dragging his feet or, you know, we're not really seeing eye to eye, maybe Boston trying to low ball and come off to Supermax. Maybe Jalen's not sure he wants to sign and spend another, whatever it may be. If, if you're not getting the indications that you want, start looking for that trade. Start looking to move on from him because you need to make sure that you maximize your return. Teams will smell blood in the water once the regular season starts. I'm not saying you won't get a good return on Jalen, but it won't be what you'd get in the offseason if you were shopping from a position of strength rather than a position of weakness. Yeah. That would be so, my argument. Yeah. And that's 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 the first thing I think from a roster construction standpoint that that needs to get figured out. And then that leads into point three. If you are potentially looking at Jalen, you also have to look at moving other pieces. I think I think we would both probably agree here. You know, Tatum's untouchable. Tatum's Tatum's here to stay. That's that's not going anywhere. But back to shaking up that core. Let's say you decide, all right, we're not going to trade Jalen. We're going to figure out this extension thing, but we need to shake something else up. That then gets you down to the rest of this this team, which which starts with Marcus Smart and Al Horford, and then you get to the next level of Rob Williams, Derek White, Malcolm Brogdon. And for me, if you're really making meaningful change. It's probably at least one of Marcus and Al, and potentially you're you're moving on from another, you know, at least one more member out of that, you know, Rob, Derek, Malcolm Brogdon. It's hard to see Derek White getting moved at this point. Derek White, I don't know. I, I would be shocked if Derek White gets moved, but but Brogdon, I think Brogdon, Rob, Al, Marcus. I would say those are the four for me that I really look at as potentially on the table to be moved in some type of package where you're changing up your those top seven guys that we keep talking about. If you're really going to look for pieces that you think maybe fit together better, 
that's, you know, I, I think there might be something there. I don't know, but I think that's the next place you'd look to. I don't know what that is. Bleach, tune into Bleach Report Friday afternoon. Maybe Adam and I and Greg will have more thoughts on this. We're going to we're gonna have a, a Bleacher Report app session Friday, 2 p.m. Eastern, where we're going to look at some potential trades. I don't have the answer right now, Adam, but I think that's the next place you look to after you get beyond Jalen Brown. Yeah, I think that everything has to be on the table. I, I don't even think you stop at those four guys. I think you put Jalen Brown, sorry, Jason Tatum, you take him off the board, off your chessboard, you put him in your pieces box. He stays Everyone else, as far as I'm concerned, is fair game. You make as many moves and as many changes as you need or you deem necessary to build a team that features and accentuates Jason Tatum's skill set. And you do it with the notion of it needs to fit the type of offensive and defensive scheme that Joe Mazzula wants to run. And you build it like... Kind of, you build it for these guys. You have the blueprint now. You know what the system's going to be. You know what an almost complete version of Jason Tatum looks like. Now you start to make the changes. But as far as I'm concerned, as a 15-man roster, 14 of those pieces are interchangeable at this point. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And then that leads to really the one free agency decision that the Celtics have to make, and that's that's Grant Williams. He's a restricted free agent. And I'll just tell you right now, my prediction is I, I think there's probably about a 60 to 70% chance he's not back with the Celtics. If he is back with the Celtics, it's because he's he's coming back in the 8 to 10 million range. And that's less than what they were negotiating last year, less than what Grant Williams thought he was going to get. I think this also plays into those CBA negotiations that, you know, Adam, you and I have, have talked about that we're going to be digging into a lot more about what that means for the future of this roster building. And I think for Grant, those negotiations really hurt his leverage in this offseason. So I, I think if he's back with the Celtics, it's somewhere in the 8 to 10 million range. I think if someone's willing to give him 12 to 15 million, see you, Grant. I, I, I mean, I, I, I think he's I think he's gone at that point. But that's that's the other that's the one big, you know, top eight free agent decision the Celtics have to make is what do they do with Grant Williams as a restricted free agent? I said this to you before. I don't know if we were alive when I said it or not, but I'm willing to bet that Houston become a big player for him. Him and Udoka had a really good relationship. Grant's one of those culture guys that you bring in to reset a culture, to add a little bit of toughness to a rotation. Houston are a very big tax-based team, if I recall. That's that cool. make, It makes sense for me that Houston become players for Grant Williams. And to be honest with you, I don't hate that. I think that Grant was criminally underutilized throughout the playoffs. Um, by the time he did start getting utilized, it was too late for him to build a rhythm and definitely had some bad games himself. He didn't play fantastic all the way through. I'm not under any illusions. But he should have been part of that rotation from day one. He struggled down the stretch. I don't think Missoula has the level of trust in him that he could get from other coaches elsewhere. To me, it makes sense for this partnership to end. So, yeah. And I love Grant. I, I've been so vocal well, about bringing him back. Well, let me ask you this, Adam. What's the number that you think, if there is a potential for him to come back, what's what's the number that you think they would land at? If they're going to supermax Jalen, that changes a lot. I think that they do draw the line around that 12 million mark. So a couple of million more than what you're expecting there with the 10, 8 to 10. Mm -hmm. But I don't see it going over 12. I think yeah. a team like Houston will be willing to walk in at that 15 million a year range and feel very comfortable about bringing someone in to change their culture. Yeah, and I, and I don't think, I think if someone does come in like Houston and puts up that 15, 
I just don't see the Celtics matching that, especially with the implications that that go along with the Jalen Brown potential supermax and kind of where their their roster's at. But a lot of questions remain to be to be answered. A lot of a lot of discussions to be had, Adam. That's all for this offseason, which unfortunately is starting right now. So I want to say, Adam, it's been it's been an eventful season. It's been a fun season. We've got a chance to reunite the three man weave, bring our show over to Blue Wire. And so just on a, a very quick sentimental and note, me so personally. <laughs> on a very quick sentimental note, it's been, you know, it's been a special season for for this show and for anybody listening. We really, really fucking appreciate all you guys that you know, shoot us messages, you know, that have supported us, that download the podcast, have been following us on YouTube, Instagram, um, been interacting, you know, the show's not ending. We're, we're going to, we're going to put up more and more content. We're going to come up with new ways that that's part of our off season goals. How do we find even more ways to, to interact and keep the show growing? Um, some of that starts with, you know, some of our partnerships that we've been doing with Bleacher Report. So this Friday, 2 PM Eastern, join us on the Bleacher Report app. We'll have the three man weave talking about, some off-season trades, but Adam, you know, any, any thoughts that you want to share here, man? It's been a, it's been a special ride despite the way the season's ended so far. No, I mean this this ends my second season covering the team full time as a full time, obviously freelance position, but it's still mm-hmm. full time covering the team. Uh, we ended the uh, the Celtics Blog podcast with me as part of it during the very early part of the season. Come back midway through, we reunite the three man weave over on Bleach Report. We all meet up out in Boston. You know, I got to be media for the first time. Like as an individual season for me, it's been really successful. Yeah. Um, kind of stopped tweeting as much and posting on Instagram more, and I've thoroughly enjoying that. But overall, I just think that this show, the three of us are going from strength to strength. I think the chemistry here can't be found on any other Celtics podcast. Not in the terms of, you know, I, I'm just really, really bullish on the, how the three of us work together. And then, you know, with Bleach Report offering us that, those opportunities, with the platform that Blue Wire provide and everything else that's going on, I see us three absolutely crushing it over the next few years, man. So uh, if the Celtics don't make it to the NBA Finals, that's okay because Green with Envy is going to create their own podcasting finals and we're there, baby. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I'm, I'm not sure on what the outlook of the Celtics is going to be for the future, but I feel really confident about the outlook for Green with Envy going I forward. I want us to go on tour, dude. That's when you know you're a successful podcast, when you go on tour. Hey, man, for having a Celtics road trip with the show, that that would be pretty sweet. I think there's something we might be able to work out. So we're going to, we're going to work on that. We got a lot more coming. You know, like we said, one of the silver linings of the Celtics uh, being, being eliminated earlier than, than we would have liked a lot of content this off season, a lot of topics that we got to cover as Adam and I just laid out. So we will have that for you and more, but that's going to do it for this episode of green with envy onto the off season. It is what it is, folks. We're very good J. Cole album. I'm okay with it. (laughs) That's how we're rolling. I hope everybody has a great day, and we will be back with y'all later this week. Peace, y'all. I wish it that I never seen the stars in your eyes A glimpse of what I'm missing, think it is a mirage Ooh, you got me tripping and it's hard to describe But I stay for a minute cause I'm digging the vibe I like the way you're looking at the look in my eyes Don't be casual feelings when it's only a vibe Don't know what the deal 
is I'm a typical guy You know the one thing different is the state of your mind I'm like, oh my, my, someone throw me a rope I'm getting too damn high, didn't know I could float You could call it a vibe, it's probably all that she wrote But I'd be doing this shit finally if I didn't have hope Cause you know that that embody, that's what go with the flow I could sing a different song if I cannot hit the notes You had me taking off when you took off your clothes It should be coming down by now, but I won't